As I was preparing for this message and entering into uh, the Christmas season, it got me thinking back to a bunch of the sentimental memories that I have over the years accumulated. When I was a kid, I remember, for example, the anticipation of the Sears Christmas wish book. Does anybody old enough to remember that? For those who are in this room and who aren't old enough to remember that, there used to be this thing where they would send you a giant pile of paper that they called a catalog together before we had the internet and tablets and screens. And early in the fall, you would get this in the mail. And then if you were anything like me, or if your kids or your grandkids were like me, for weeks, I would open this up and I would scroll through the thousands of beautiful colored um, spreads of different toys. And I would read through and I would carefully circle. And then I would read through and I would circle some more, then I would go back and reread through and scratch out what I had selected before and circle new things so I made sure I got the exact right list to my parents for Christmas that year. Or I have so many memories, fond memories of bundling up for a crisp Saturday afternoon to sit along a street and watch a a bunch of marching bands go by and different um, parade floats for Santa Claus parades. And even just a couple weeks ago, sitting out on uh, Frank Street with our kids for the parade. Or I remember the Christmas hockey tournaments, driving across the countryside to wherever that year's Silver Stick tournament was, or Boxing Day was the, like, the ritual of gathering around the TV to prepare to watch with millions of Canadians across the country as we hoped the junior team would get another gold medal. These are like a few of the sentimental memories that come back to me as I think about the years and celebrating these times. But as I got thinking about these, I I was struck by the memories like those that came up, how all of them were really a big show, a big ordeal, a a grand, incredibly expensive, incredibly involved, incredibly just uh, grandiose show. The, to, to think of the, the thousands upon thousands of carefully curated toy spreads that were in the magazine, to think of the hundreds of people that lined the streets to watch the parades, to think of trekking, I can't even tell you how many kilometers for the hockey tournaments, to think about the millions that filled, um, filled stadiums and sat in their homes and watched on TV cheering for these teenagers to get a gold medal. It's all so big. It's all so grandiose. It's all so extravagant. And, and some of it is, is just fine and good. I'm not saying it's all bad when I say that. I mean, those memories that I listed, I, I, I remember each of those with actually a great sense of joy. And I, I know we could all point to other things that have started to develop in the Christmas season that we would say are not so good. And I, I get all of that. But in the midst of even these things that may not be bad, 
What has happened, I think, is the heart of what this holiday is really set out to mark. We've gotten distracted from it. We've gotten misdirected away from it. There's developed a giant fog in front of us, so it's really become quite difficult to see clearly through to what this is really all about. And over the next couple weeks as a church, we're going to do a little kind of mini teaching series called Behold Him, where, where the whole prayer, intent, heart behind it, is to, to cut through the, the big show, to cut through all of the fog, to, to help us go from being misdirected to redirected, from being distracted to being centered as we consider a few of the first glimpses of Jesus in the scriptures at Christmas. And so today, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, the passage that we heard read already. If you haven't yet, grab your Bible out, please, and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. And I've titled our sermon today, The Manger King. The manger king. And we're going to walk through the text that we have already heard read. And I want to point out two profound observations that come out of God's word here in Luke chapter 2 as we get a first glimpse, as we behold the manger king. Here's the first one. Jesus came as a lowly one. As we, as we pierce through all that is become Christmas, what we see here, first of all, in this passage is that Jesus came as a lowly one. When Jesus came to earth, it was not a big show. We see in verse 11, that, these, that an angel shows up to a group of shepherds out in the field. And he introduces Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord in verse 11. We see this. The Lord means ruler, master, boss over all of the universe. The, the Lord of the universe has arrived and he is the Christ, which is the word that came up over and over and over and over again in your Old Testament, talking about the, the long-awaited Savior to come, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. The Lord, the Christ, has come, which is to say Jesus is a really big deal. Make no mistake about this. The arrival of Jesus on that first Christmas day, if you want to call it that, was a really big deal. But Jesus came as a lowly one. Jesus came as a lowly one. Today, verse 11 says, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. We see his lowliness here in four different ways. First of all, Christ the Lord is a person that says right there, he 
is Christ the Lord. The Lord of the universe, the Savior of the world, has now put on flesh and bones. The infinite Lord of the universe has now taken on a finite body. The almighty Lord who is God has reduced himself to flesh and bones. The sovereign Lord who has all control has chosen to humbly restrict himself as a man. How can that be? How can the God of the universe become a man? And notice, not only do we see his loneliness in becoming like one of us, he became a baby. The Lord and Christ became a baby. He was born to you, the angel says. Not only is Christ the Lord finite, physical, restricted, he is now the most finite and restricted that there is. He's a baby. Now, for, for Natalie and our family, I have to confess, I am, I am not sad to be out of the baby phase of life. I, I'm not disappointed to no longer have to change diapers or that my kids can sleep through the night now and I'm not most of nights. I, I'm not disappointed that I'm not getting puked on anymore, okay? But despite all all of that, I still believe, and I would imagine almost every person in this room really believes, babies are still adorable. I mean, what other thing can you walk into a room carrying and everyone, I mean even complete strangers, will like rush to you and be like, oh, it's so cute, and, and start to just get right in your face and all these kind of things, and some of you moms are like, PTSD, get away from me, you stranger with you germs, you're so close to my baby, right? But we, we think babies, I think we probably all agree that babies are adorable, but on a practical front, babies can do nothing, right? Like they, they are literally totally incapable of doing anything except, <laughs> like they, they can't clothe themselves, they can't feed themselves. They can't communicate. They can't move themselves around. They can't clean themselves. They, 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 they are literally absolutely unable to do anything on their own. They are totally helpless on their own. And the Christ, the Lord became a baby. Became not only flesh and bones infinite who became restricted, he became the most helpless that you can get. We see thirdly here how Jesus came as a lowly one where he was born. Verse 4 in our Bible says this, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. So there, there was this census that was called Joseph and Mary and everybody in the whole empire had to leave where they were living and they had to go to the town that was where their family line was from. They had to go back to their, their hometown. 
And so Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem, and Jesus is born in Bethlehem. But, but, but Jesus is from where, where Joseph and Mary leave, where they were living, where he was from, is this town called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth at that time was like a nowhere town, a nobody town. It, it was like the sticks, the hicks, the, the rednecks are from Nazareth. It was a teeny tiny small town. Archaeologically, it basically can't even really be found from this time, which implies that it was basically all just like wood and mud huts. There was no architectural significance. There was maybe a couple hundred people there. When, when Jesus grew up and he was getting introduced later on, and someone mentions Jesus as he's going around to reach his disciples and where he's from, we actually read in the Gospel of John the reaction. One of them said, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And that's the last place in the world I would think anything good would come from is Nazareth. So, so the Christ and the Lord became a man but not just a man, but a baby. And a baby from the Hicks, Sticks, place where no one would want to be known to be from. And then notice lastly here, three times, three times, three times, Luke repeats that Jesus was laid in a manger. Baby Jesus from Nazareth. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 12, then the angels say to the shepherds, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then in verse 16, when the shepherds come, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The Christ who is the Lord of the universe became a person, became a baby, born from the most unexpected place, and was wrapped up and laid in a bucket that the animals ate from. Jesus came as a lowly one. He came as a lowly one. Come, Bethel, and behold, this Christmas, the lowly manger king. This ought to shake up the way we think about Christmas. This ought to cause us to pause for a moment and be seriously like, whoa. I mean, put side by side the extravagance of the wish book or your Amazon shopping cart with this poor baby. 
contrast the light shows that we drape over our homes with the simplicity of a stable. Hold up the crowds of parents that flock into the bleachers at the arena or the hordes of people we pack around our tables for our large family turkey gatherings with the couple who no one wanted to be with. Put side by side the parade floats that are finished off with a giant sleigh and a man in a giant suit and everyone cheering with a baby laid in a food bucket. This should shake up how we conceive and think about what we are celebrating this month. Jesus came as a lowly one. The second thing we see, the second observation I want to point out from this text is that Jesus came for the lowly ones. So not only did Jesus come as a lowly one, but he came for the lowly ones. In verse 5, we are pointed to Jesus' mom and dad. Verse 5, it says, He, Joseph, went to Bethlehem to be registered with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. The, the very first people to meet the Christ the Lord, are, are this young, dismissed, looked down upon, cast aside couple. Mary almost undoubtedly is a teenage girl here. She is pregnant, but unmarried. They are, they are engaged to be wed, but she is not married. And yet she is pregnant. We know that they are poor because not only are they from Nazareth, when they go to dedicate baby Jesus at the temple, we see that the sacrifice they gave was to pigeons, which was the, the out for those who were not financially able to pay for the full sacrifice, which was supposed to be a lamb when you dedicate your baby. And so they, they went the, the, just the two pigeons because that's all they could afford route to dedicate Jesus as a baby to the Lord. They are unwanted by anyone in this town. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We don't, we don't want you guys here. We don't want you coming under our roof. Jesus came to this lowly, young, poor, from almost nowhere, essentially almost nobody, cast aside couple. That's who Jesus came to. That's the first people to meet the Christ and the Lord. And, and then notice that, that an angel is sent from God. We read it here. 
the, the, the first birth announcement, who is it made to? There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The first people to be told about the arrival of Jesus were a group of homeless, smelly, stinky, socially outcast, religiously unclean shepherds who lived in the field. That's who the Lord said. You know who we really need to let know about the Christ who has come? Those guys. Because Jesus came for the lowly one. He didn't come to the palace with a gigantic sea of presence around his crib. He didn't come to a parade float with marching bands. He didn't come to arenas full of fans chanting his name or singing his national anthem. Jesus came as a lowly one for the lowly ones. This is the first impression that we are given of Jesus. The one who came as a lowly one for the lowly ones. And, and, and if you were to think, well, this is just kind of the first impression, but the story sort of veers differently as he gets older, you would be, you'd be gravely mistaken because this is, this is exactly how the rest of his whole life plays out. Jesus' whole life here on earth was living as a lowly one. I'll give you just a couple examples. There's lots I could go to. When he starts his ministry, he seems to imply he's basically taken on a homeless life. Matthew 8, verse 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I've walked away from everything to just go and travel around to tell people about the good news. Listen to the call he gave to his disciples. Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give up his life as a slave. All the way to the point of willingly suffering the most excruciating and humiliating death on a cross. Listen to how the book of Hebrews describes it. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross was full of agony and shame. And Jesus endured. He, he, for the joy that was set before him, fixed his mind, I will follow the will of the Father and go right to the point of death on a cross. At, at any moment, Jesus could have called down that, that massive army of angels that, that sang before 
the shepherds on the hills. He could have called them down and said, stop it at any moment. He could have called them down and said, show them who I really am. He could have at any moment ripped open a little glimpse into eternity like a couple of the disciples saw when he was transfigured and say, don't you see who I am? He could have hanging on the cross when they were mocking and ridiculing him. Stopped it in an instant. But Jesus, for his entire life, lived as a lowly one. And he lived his entire life coming to serve and to help and to save the lowly ones. He is the one who entered the home of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the tiny little tax collector? He was actually the chief Amongst a whole bunch of the tax collectors, the tax collectors were the, the most hated people around. They were the lying, conniving, thieving, manipulating, power-hungry people. And Jesus is the one who goes to this guy's house, breaks bread with him, and then says, Today salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus is the one who, I don't know if you remember this a couple weeks ago when we were going through the book of Acts and Peter and John were arrested and they're speaking and, and they say this about Peter and John. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus picks as the leaders of his pack unschooled, ordinary men couple fishers come and lead the whole thing. Jesus is the one who went to the Samaritan woman to preach the gospel. Jesus is the one who touched the untouchably contagious to heal. Jesus is the one who noticed and called forward the children who everyone else wanted to cast aside to say, get them out of here. Jesus' whole life was serving the lowly ones, was coming for the lowly ones. What we get as this glimpse as we come and behold this first scene at Christmas, this first impression of the lowly one who came for the lowly ones is what we see through Jesus' entire ministry life here on earth, one who came as a lowly one for the lowly ones. This is cutting through the fog. This is the redirection from the misdirection, what the first Christmas was really all about. This Christmas, I, I'm not trying to stand up here and say we need to reject all of our Christmas traditions, go home and take the lights down off of your front porch and don't go to a hockey tournament and don't give any gifts. That's not what I'm arguing for. But what I'm saying is, what if we stopped for a moment? What if we slowed down to really pause and reflect on what this thing we now celebrate was actually about when it started. Jesus, the lowly one, who came for lowly ones. 
So how do we respond to that this morning? How do we, what, what's our takeaway? What's our application from God's word? Well, I would suggest that as we consider the manger king, I think this group of ragtag shepherds and their reaction gives us a couple good takeaways for us to follow too. Here's the first one that these ragtag cast aside shepherds Here's the first thing they did. They came and they beheld him. The first thing, the first invitation for each and every one of us here today, the first challenge I have for us is come and behold the manger king. Come and behold. We, we read, the angels declared to them today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Come and behold him. They're like, leave your sheep, leave your dinner that's cooking around the fire. Come and behold the lowly one who came for the lowly ones. And that's exactly what the shepherds did. They were like, all right, leave it all here. Leave our sheep here. We got to go find this one that the Lord has told us about. We got to go and behold him. And, and notice that as these lowly shepherds go and behold Jesus, they come to the manger of a king. Sure, he is the manger king, but do not lose sight of the fact that he is Christ the Lord. They come and they are led to overflowing worship because they are meeting the king of the universe. And so I think we are beckoned here today, each and every one of us, no matter what your backstory might be. Maybe you have spent every single Christmas in this church for your entire life. Maybe this is your very first time in church. I don't know. Wherever you come from, the call for all of us is come and behold the manger king, the lowly one who came for the lowly ones. Now, perhaps, though, as you hear all of this, the thought going through your head is like, yeah, okay, but like, that's not really for me. Like, I, frankly, all this talk about lowly ones and a lowly one, like, I, I, I'm not really that interested. I, I kind of actually sort of enjoy just the big show that is Christmas. And I, I don't really feel like I am a lowly one or need a lowly one to come for me. I, I'm not really even all that interested in all of that. Maybe it's for somebody else in this room, but mm, I'm kind of fine. My life's kind of fine. I think I'm good. Okay. If that's, if that's you today, if that's the thought process maybe that's going through your head, can I, can I give you one thought to ponder? Here, here, here's a little question, a little thought to ponder and reflect on. If, if you find yourself just honestly and truly in a spot today where you hear all of this about the lowly one who came for lowly ones and you're like, you know what, I'm, I think I'm fine. Let me ask you this question. Why do we make Christmas such a big deal every year? Why do we make it a big show? Or even more pointedly, why don't you ask this question of yourself? Why do you make Christmas a big show? 
What, what are you chasing after? Whatever the big show for you is. I don't know if it's presents or parades. I don't know if it's the hockey tournament or if it's the, the big gathering of the meal. Whatever, whatever it is, why do you find yourself this year preparing to chase after the big show? Because in all the years past that you have done this, has it ever left you with like a feeling, an experience, a, a, a thing that you have given or gotten that has entirely satisfied you for the rest of your life? Has it ever done that? Has it ever? See, we have this itch that we're trying to scratch as we do the big show, right? We have this itch that we're trying to scratch. And, and the truth of the matter is, like, it's not all bad. It's actually some of those things, they scratch the itch that we're longing for, for a moment. For a moment. The family dinner, well, that was, that was really nice for the moment. But then it ends. The holiday break was really nice from work for a moment, but then it have to go back to work. The presents were really nice for a moment until you get the credit card bill in January. Or the toy that, that your grandkid was so excited to play with for a moment until they weren't. Or the hockey tournament that was the ultimate high until you lost the game. Or maybe you even won the championship and then the season's going to come to an end. Maybe Canada wins the gold, and then the tournament is over. We, we chase these big things at Christmas. Why? Why are you chasing that? Especially when every single thing you have pursued has never ultimately satisfied you? Why do you keep chasing it? Maybe, maybe you're not as fine as you think you are. Maybe, although Christmas is a wonderful time to get to celebrate and the big show may be enjoyable to scratch an itch for a moment, maybe what that should show you this Christmas is that you keep trying to scratch an itch but you're not finding anything that's going to satisfy. Maybe you're not as fine as you think you are. Maybe you actually have a need that the manger king alone can fill. Some others in this room, though, you hear all of this lowly one who came for lowly ones. And, and the big show of Christmas for you, frankly... If we call a spade a spade, here's what it is. It's putting on a facade to try to put a smile on because you know what's really going on inside. And it's like, I, I, I just, I want to push it down. I want to suppress. I want to pretend. It's not really, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. So let's put on a big show. And you, some here in this room, you're like, oh, I know exactly what it is like to be a lowly one. Some of us in this room, 
If you're here today and you're like, man, my life is like a mess. And everything I'm doing to try and figure it out is not making it any better, only worse. Man, I, I am longing for purpose, but I just can't seem to find it. No matter what I do or where I turn, it's just like elusive. My marriage is on the rocks, and I, I don't know where I'm going to be in six months from now. My heart is breaking with grief, and it just feels like there is no light coming through in the midst of the darkness. All I feel is loneliness right now. My urges are pounding and I can't stop the addiction. And you're like, oh, I, I know without a shadow of a doubt what it means to feel like a lowly, broken, forgotten, brushed aside, inadequate, unable person. I have every one of those checked off right now inside. If that's you here today, friend, here's what I want to tell you. Jesus, the manger king, came for you. He came for you. He, God beckoned the shepherds to come to the manger right as they were. He didn't say, get your act together first before you go down into Bethlehem. He didn't say, clean up yourselves. He didn't say, you know, take the time that it needs for you to get ceremonially clean. He says, right as you are, go find the Christ, the Lord, who has come for you. Friend, if you find yourself in a spot today, for whatever reason, where it's like, man, I feel more broken than you would ever imagine. Jesus came for you right where you are right now. He, he understands all of the brokenness because he became broken. He understands all of the pain because he bore our pain. He understands the depth of your sin because he shouldered your sin on the cross. He empathizes with you. He understands you. He has entered into the muck and the mire and walked in the trenches with you. More than anyone else ever, he has worn your shoes. And then he died and he crushed death. He was buried and then he was raised to life. He came as a lowly one for the lowly ones. He came to save you and I. So come and behold him today. And then second, go and praise him. The shepherds come they see Jesus. And then I love the reaction after this. The shepherds returned, verse 20, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's almost like the song of the angels on the hillside becomes the tune they are humming as they walk out of the manger and down the street. Glory to God in the highest. 
This is incredible. The lowly one has come for the lowly ones like us. We've got to tell everyone and anyone, we've got to go out from here and praise the Lord. Look at who our God is. Look at what he has done right in front of us. They came to realize Jesus came for lowly me. Jesus lived for lowly me. Jesus notices lowly me. Jesus rescues lowly me. Jesus gave hope to lowly me. Jesus is the manger king. And so they go out praising this one. Anyone and everyone who would listen, hear about this incredible Jesus who we just met, who the angels told us about, Bethel, the big show of Christmas is everywhere. It's everywhere. Everybody knows the big show of Christmas. You walk through the shops and the malls, you turn on the radio, you drive down the road. The big show is everywhere. But our world is distracted away from the point. The fog has set in so people have not really, maybe even you here today, it's become so, like my mind is on other things when I think about Christmas and what we're being called here to is back to the truth. Cutting through all of that to really see the manger king. And so I want to finish off. In just a moment, we're going to come around the communion table. I'm going to invite the communion servers to come forward and the band to come up. And here's what I want to finish off with today. I want to finish off with us asking ourselves a question. See, each one of us have people in our lives who God has placed there who need to hear about the manger king. We all do. And his means for them hearing is you. It's you. God has uniquely put a circle of people around you if, if you want to think about your classmates in school, if you want to think about the coworkers at work, if you want to think about the neighbors on your street, if you want to think about the family members that are a part of your family, if you want to think about the, the divinely orchestrated random people you run into when you go about your day, you are the only person in the whole world who has that circle of people. You're the only one. And God's intent when we come and see the manger king is then to go out and tell about him. To go out and tell about him. To go out praising his name. One of the, one of the beautiful, unique things that is pointed out around the communion table when we read in Corinthians in a minute when I come back up, is that it says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
When we come around the communion table here, we are to one another proclaiming the Lord's death. But what I also want to point us and challenge us towards today is, when you leave this place in a few minutes, who do you need to go and proclaim that to as well? Who in your life needs to hear your story about meeting the manger king? Who in your life needs to hear you share about how Jesus came for you and Jesus came for them too? Who in your life, in your family, in your school, in your work, on your street, needs to see not just more of the Christmas show, but the lowly one who came for the lowly ones? Who in your circle do you need to invite to come out to church this Christmas? I mean, this is one of the easiest times to invite somebody to church. People, I know not everybody's going to say yes, but it's like, it's as right picking as you can get. Hey, do you want to come to a Christmas Eve service? Who in your life do you need to start praying about asking to come to Alpha in the new year when we kick it off in January? Who in your life is, is, you know, is going through the ringer right now. They are the definition of lowly at this moment that you need to reach out to and pray for. Take the bold step to say, hey, can I pray with you? Can I pray for you? I know how hard blank is going on for you right now. Can I pray for you? Come and see the manger king. And then go and praise him to everyone who you run into. That's the call of God's word for us here today, Bethel.